I am Helen, and welcome to the Best Life, Best Death podcast. I'm here today with Jamie Sarche, and I'm really excited to have this conversation with Jamie. Hi, Jamie. Hi, thanks for having me today. This is going to be a great conversation. So Jamie is the director of pre-planning at Feldman Memorial. Well, is it Feldman Memorial or Feldman Mortuary? We've got all of the above. So Feldman Mortuary has really been serving the Jewish community in Denver for 85 years and Feldman Memorial serves everyone else. Fabulous. And they're they're a big, well-known, family-owned um, mortuary in Denver. And so I love this question of pre-planning. So Jamie and I got to talking and decided that a podcast was in order because I think this is such an important question for families. Like the, uh, even the whole idea of your, your job title, director of pre-planning, you know, I think, well, what does that mean? Why do people plan or why do they not plan for funerals and after death care? Yeah, it's such it's a fascinating thing, because I think that we live in a society that says, don't talk about death, don't think about death, that's so morbid, what's wrong with you, I'm just busy living. And the the truth of the matter is that death is not separate from life. Death is part of life. And by embracing that fact, we can number one, live a lot more fully. But also, we can give a gift to ourselves, um, knowing those plans are in place. And knowing that our loved ones will have a path to walk on when they need it the very most. That's the thing I'm always struck by. You know, when people have died and they haven't conveyed what they want, it's almost like the family's left holding the bag. Like they have to decide at a time when they're already grieving and kind of over the top, then they've got all these decisions to make. And they're like, well, did mom want to be buried? Did mom want to be cremated? I don't even know. And so one kid says mom wanted to be buried. The other kid says mom wanted to be cremated. And right. then they never speak again because it's the worst time of their life. It brings up all the things of who mom loved best. Right. And it's a it's such an easy way to blow up a family when there are such an easy way for fractures to occur. Yeah. So true. That's so interesting. So when you, when you talk to somebody about pre-planning, are you typically talking to the person who either, you know, is getting older or has been feel that they have a terminal illness? Is that the person who does the pre-planning or is this also about families? It, it, it just depends. It really depends on what's best for somebody. And I would say the average age of people that I work with is about 67. Um, I would like to see it be younger. I did my own plans when I was 42. Um, but at 67, my client is typically healthy. They are just smart. They um, understand the reality of mortality. And they're typically somebody who is more worried about caring for their loved ones than the worry about, um, if I think about this, then that means I'm going to die. Right. Um, you know, I, I don't know if this is true for you, Diane, but like for me, I don't worry about my own death per se. What I do worry about is how will my family be when I'm not here to be in control of all the issues? Right. And this planning ahead, getting the funeral or memorial service or whatever it's going to be planned and paid for, that's my way of being able to take care of them when I am not physically present to do it. And the other point about doing it way younger, number one, we have no idea when we're going to need it. But number two, we're able to save 
thousands and thousands of dollars by doing it early and by um, funding it with an insurance product. And it allows us to pay over time if that's what we need to do. And that allows us to avoid the seven to 10% of inflation that happens every year. That means this doubles every seven to 10 years. Wow. And it just, it makes so much sense. I think people, I think people don't realize how much sense it makes. And I think people don't necessarily realize how much it costs. I mean, yes. and we don't have to get into specifics because I'm sure that ranges from place to place and region yes. to region, but it's expensive to take care of after death expenses. Yes. yes. Even if you just do fire cremation, which um, has its own expense from an environmental perspective and from a kindness and compassion perspective, it's still, you know, going to be $3,000. Right. Just that. And that's no ritual for your family. That's not getting anybody together. That's just, there's a dead body. I got to get rid of the dead body. Right, right. Talk a little about the ritual piece, because I think that's also, you know, I, I sometimes have, um, you know, in my best three months classes, we go over kind of what what would you like to have happen after your death? And, and there's always someone who says, oh, I don't want anybody to make a fuss. It's no big deal. I'll be dead. I won't care. What, what's your response to that? Yeah, I agree. You'll be dead. You won't care. It isn't about you. <laughs> Right, right. Um, it really is about giving the people who love you a communal event. Oh, I love and, that phrase, a communal event around the and death. Having community around death is so vital because what happens is there's grief and there's mourning. And mm. grief is that internal feeling. Mourning is the ability to externalize it. And if we don't have any communal events, there is no ability to externalize it. And so it's stuck inside of us and that's not healthy and that's not good. And, and those people who say, I don't want to make a fuss. Okay. I understand that for you, for the dead person, but do your family members deserve something, you know, and ritual is so important. You know, ritual has a lot to do with religion. You know, religion has a lot of ritual, but Ritual is important on its own. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just like if you go to somebody's birthday party and there is no cake, it's a problem. Or if you go, let's say this, this is a question I like to ask people. Why do we have um, caps and gowns at a graduation? Do you know why, Diane? I do not. What is that ritual from? I have no idea, but that's what we do. Right. And we know that that's what that signifies. And there's a lot of funeral and a communal or community gathering that signifies this transition. That's exactly right. We need the context because the context helps us to know how to feel. Uh And that's the other thing that I think about when people want to just have a celebration of life or a party or whatever, have a party when you can go. Mm-hmm. allow people to feel what they feel when they're in that situation. And that doesn't mean that people can't laugh. Of course they can. Right. But when people go to a quote celebration of life right. and they don't feel celebratory, right. they think they're doing it wrong. Right. Right. There's something about making space for the morning. That's really, really huge. 
and making space for even at the moment of death. I, a friend just sent me a beautiful quote today that was from um, a Canadian death doula named Sarah Kerr. And she says, when somebody dies, sit at the bedside and just be present to the experience in the room. She says, what's happening for you? What might be happening for them? Pausing gives your soul a chance to adjust because no matter how prepared we are, death is still a shock. So give yourself five minutes or 10 minutes or 15 minutes. You'll never get that time back. And after that, do the smallest thing you can call the one person who needs to be called, but stay with the experience because that won't come again. So I think about that, like on this microcosm of right when the death occurs, if, if however that is in the home or in a hospice situation or a hospital, how do you just be with that sacred moment? And then what you're talking about is really the extension to kind of the macro. How do we just be with the fact of the death and allow these mourning rituals to happen? Yes. And allow whatever we feel to be in touch with that and to sit with it. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, death isn't an emergency. Right. And that's hard to recognize. Yes. It's not an emergency. Trying to prevent a death, maybe. And right. depending on what someone's experiencing, you should maybe be calling an ambulance. But when somebody dies, there's nothing emergent about that. So interesting and hard to remember, right? In that, yes. because I think we're just catalyzed or, or um, we're socialized is the word I mean, to kind of think like, oh, got to do something, got to do something. Mm-hmm. Right. So going back to this thing about families too, I I do think this is so powerful, how a death of a matriarch or a patriarch or just a beloved person in the family can trigger these fractures in families. So it's interesting that you talk about how pre-planning can support that not happening, might still happen in some other way. But I I think also then some people might say, well, I don't need to control from beyond the grave. My kids can do whatever they want. What do you say to that? Well, I think that that's really selfish. Uh-huh. <laughs> I really do. I really, it's funny. I used to work for my dad, who's an estate planning attorney. And you're just making me think of this story that I got a call from one of his clients and she wanted to give this house to one of her children and, you know, the other children didn't need it or whatever. She had her reasons, but I said to her, you know, what might very well happen is that the children who didn't get are never going to speak again to the kid who did. And she said, what do I care? I won't, I'll be dead. It won't matter to me. And that's just something I don't understand. Right. Cause um, you thought, don't you want to foster good relations between your kids? Yeah, I do. But yeah. you know, people have their ways of doing stuff. So what I would say is um, giving your kids a path to walk on mm-hmm. when they can't think There are 120 decisions that need to be made and pieces of information that need to be provided. Wow. Why not just get that done? And the other piece is that almost every funeral home in the country is going to make your kids pay before they can have whatever the service looks like. And, you know, even in a fire cremation scenario, that's $3,000 at the cheap end. That's still a lot of money for people. Why not just have this all taken care of? you know, you're going to need it. 
And it's interesting to me because, you know, people get life insurance or they get homeowner, homeowner's insurance, car insurance. You hope you're never going to need those kinds of insurance. The stuff I'm talking about, you are absolutely going to need. It's a certainty. Absolutely. It's a certainty. Yeah. That's right. So just get it. I've actually thought about doing the plans for my children. They're 24 and 26. Yeah. Why not? Why not? Find out what they're interested. When you yeah. say there's 120 pieces of information, can you give us like a snippet of what those, what are yeah. of those? So for the death certificate, it's going to be somebody's full name, including their maiden name. If they're, if they change their name upon marriage, their birth date, the place of their birth, their job, um, how much education they have, what their parents' names are, um, those kinds of identifying information. Then if there's going to be a newspaper notice, there's all of that. Mm-hmm. You're going to choose what kind of disposition. Is it going to be fire cremation, water cremation, body composting, burial? Where's that going to be? What kind of um, clergy person, if there is a clergy person, where is any kind of service going to be? Should there be a limousine? Do we want flowers? What's the casket going to look like? Yeah, I'm, sure, I'm sure it's circuiting already and going, right. oh, too many decisions. I won't do oh, it. I can't That's do right. It. And you know, so, decision fatigue is real. Decision and, fatigue is real. And this is the first thing you're going to have to do after your loved one dies. The first thing you're going to have to do, that's what's going to happen is the coroner's office or the hospital or whatever is going to say, what's the funeral home? Is that the time to go to Google? Right. And be like, ah, which funeral home? Ah, we have to search. So, so you work with people at any stage of life and Mm -hmm. you, um, you kind of have this official position. Is that pretty typical that there are directors of pre-planning? You know, if I live in a rural Virginia town, how do I go about starting to pre-plan? Yeah, most funeral homes are going to have somebody like me. Mm -hmm. Um, Although I will say I do it very differently. And I am very committed to using only a family-owned funeral home. Most funeral homes in the nation are owned by um, one or two huge conglomerates. Wow. How do you even find that out? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I would call and ask, are you family owned? Yeah. Interesting. And, um, and that's really important because these huge conglomerates are going to number one, have packages of things that you might not want or need. And they have shareholders that they are beholden to. When you use a family owned funeral home, they're only beholden to the families they serve. And so that's important too. The other piece is that I think it's really important to look at how the money is going to be held if you're going to pay ahead of time. In a lot of the country, you could um, the money could be put into a trust held by the, um, the funeral home. That's maybe not the best way because if the funeral home goes out of business, there goes your money. Um, so I am really uh, a big believer in using a funeral home that also uses an insurance policy that is separate that the insurance policy would be assigned to the funeral home, but they don't own it, that the the consumer owns it. That's a good way to protect you. If the funeral home goes out of business, your money is still available. Interesting. Um, Yeah. So there are a lot of things to think about in how to do this, but I am a huge believer in this. As I said, I did my own plans when I was 42. My husband has plans. My in-laws have plans. My mother has plans. Lots of people say to me, if you could sell anything, and that's just not true. I sell this because I believe in this. 
I think this is really important. Well, you've and, seen this in action. I mean, you've seen the difference yes. that it makes for a family. Both, I, I can believe, even though there's a lot of resistance to actually doing it, I can, I can imagine that when you move through that resistance, there's also a sense of freedom and a sense of relief and a yes. sense of, um, you know, making space for mourning for your children and loved ones when you're gone. If you have children or beloved friends, whoever it is, you've made space for them to mourn rather than these 120 details. And that seems like, that seems like the real gift. You're freeing people up to, um, you know, to feel what's happening rather than just hang out in the logistics. And I think that's a huge, that's a huge gift. You've got it exactly right. It gives them a healthy and healing bereavement, whatever that's going to look like. It's going to allow them to process their loss and start creating the new normal. You've got it exactly right. That's beautiful. How do we process the loss and create a new normal? And I love your metaphor of laying out a pathway for your loved ones. That's at a time when the pathway is pretty um, hard to see and pretty foggy and pretty dark. Thank you so much, Jamie. This has been, this is so interesting to me. And I love, I love, like you said, it's not, um, it's like there's a passion behind what you do that has to do with what you've seen happen for families and the difference it can make. So we'll see. I hope this inspires someone to um, take a closer look at it. And I think the piece around decision fatigue, like the thing that will get you through decision fatigue is the knowledge of what it can feel like to you and to your family and friends to have pre-planned that there could be a real difference in the actual experience of death and grief. Yes. And what I really see with my clients is they might come in sort of scared, but at the end of the meeting, they invariably lean back in their chair and then they go, oh, that was so much easier than I thought. When it's not an emergency, it's not hard. It's not hard. Right. And I think it's fascinating too. I think that most people do know what they want. They often haven't articulated it and written it down and spoken it out loud, but in the back of their minds, they kind of know. Um, we have to do another podcast sometime because the whole thing you mentioned about aqua cremation and burial and green burial and fire cremation. I mean, there are so many new options. So that's a whole other conversation. I've been talking today with Jamie Sarche of feldmanmemorial.com. You can find out more about her there at, well, her, her business, her work, her passion, and you can find out more about me at bestlifebestdeath.com. Thanks so much for joining me today, Jamie. Thank you. May we have inspired some pre-planning. Hope so.